What's up, gentlemen? This is Rising Phoenix Podcast, a podcast about how to rise up after your divorce. I'm your host, Michael Rhodes. Let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to the show. This is episode four, which is an interview with attorney Brent Boyer. Brent runs the Adam Law Firm, which is based in Michigan. In this episode, we cover his biography, the top three pieces of advice he gives, and a Q&A. Hopefully, I represented your questions in a way that will get them answered in a way that you're looking. If I did not, fear not, Attorney Boyer and I will be doing this again, probably within a month, maybe six weeks. Uh, whatever it is, I will, I will let you know. I apologize for the length. I know it's a long one, but there were a lot of questions, a lot of great information. I hope you get something from it. And again, if I missed anything, if I misspoke, if I misquoted, please just let me know, reach out, and I'll make sure to get a better idea of what you're looking for so I can ask him next time. So here we go. Episode four. Uh, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Um, we just jump right into it and give me a little bit of a background on on yourself and what led you to where you are today with Adam. Okay. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I've been practicing divorce family law for, you know, a good 25 years. Um, you know, and it's, we represent only men. So that's been kind of a unique kind of side of what we do uh, here at my law firm. And yeah, I got started. I mean, this, you know, goes back all the way to my childhood. Basically, my parents got divorced when I was a kid. Um, mm -hmm. I was I was eight years old. And that, that's, that's like kind of a big, big change. You know, it's a it's a big moment in your life. You don't re really realize it at the time. But uh, right. it, it just has a big effect on I think how you see things and how you see people. And I, I kind of started feeling like the adults in my life weren't really in control anymore. I didn't really know what they're doing which yeah. is probably a good life lesson, but maybe not at age eight, you know, <laughs> it's probably not. Yeah. 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 So it, it kind of opened my eyes to divorce and, you know, cause this is the seventies. So this is not when divorce is really that prevalent and uh, gave me this perspective that's helped me uh, relate to men getting divorced and what they're going through. And I, I never got divorced myself, but I saw it as a child sees it. I saw it as their kids are seeing it. A lot of the guys we meet with have kids. You know, sure. so it just kind of gives you that extra relatable kind of thing when you're meeting with somebody of, yeah, I, I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I have a, a sense of what your family's going through and what this is like. And, you know, and, and we, we deal with it, of course, all the time, but um, sure. seeing it from a personal side is certainly gives me some better perspective with, with men and with helping men and sure. divorce and, this, you know, starting that whole process. So at what point did you, did you kind of know that you, you were going to go to law school? And at what point did you know it was going to be for divorce? Was that, did that come on early in life or was it later? Uh, you know, I think I was always there. My dad was an attorney, so it's not like a big okay. surprise, but I didn't really set out as a kid, you know, as a kid, I would go to his law office with him and kind of tag around and follow, you know, and see what he was doing and go to court with him and stuff. But I never really had that moment. like, Oh, that's what I want to do. But, you know, in college, I was all over the place. I started out in engineering, then I ended up in business school, got a degree in finance and economics. And it really wasn't until like almost graduating college that I said, you know, I think I'm going to give this a try. Took the LSAT, went to law school. Um, and then I still was really kind of floating at that point, adrift, not really sure what I was looking to do. And I took a, a family law, you know, divorce and family law class in the summer at law school and summer classes, first of all, are just way better because you can concentrate your full time on them. You don't have five other classes and the family law stuff just really hit home with me, made sense to me. And I think that kind of connected it. My second, my second year in law school, I just started thinking, this is really something I think I want to do. And what, uh, what school did you go to? I went to uh, John Marshall law school in Chicago. So it's like right downtown in the loop. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a great nice. city. Yeah. I lived in Chicago when I was a kid. So it kind of feels like a second home to me. Um, you know, that's where we were living until my parents got divorced. And, um, but yeah, that, I think that was kind of the deal. And I, I, I really, I found the right law firm. Um, I got to Adam where I'm at now when I was young. I mean, I, I was mm -hmm. like only a couple of years out of uh, law school when I found these guys 
and that that was it. Mm. I mean, from there, it just it just was like I this is like I what I'd always wanted to do with my life. So that's what you at this point you're solely um, met divorced for men, and it's been that way since yeah. what 1988. Is that the date I think I saw? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the firm's been doing this since 1988. I started here in 99. And then uh, my partner, John, and I took over. Our, our old boss retired pretty, pretty young, sold the law firm to us. And then we've been running this for, I don't know, I lose track, 10, 10 years or so now. Okay. The, the years kind of, the years roar by. But yeah, so I've been here, you know, I've been doing this exclusively since 99. You know, so it's been a, been a lot of years of, seeing how it evolves and you know this is back to like the days of yellow pages ads and all that kind of stuff and now it's a whole different world you know yeah for sure um i guess we can jump into some of the 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 questions that i proposed first which is just sort of the sort of advice um in terms of you know we we could i I chose top three we can do four or five but what are the top few things that you think are are essential for men to do once they know divorce is coming yeah. So once you know a divorce is coming, you want to be really getting a sense of, of what you got going on in your life. I mean, it's a it's a good time to get advice. First of all, you want to get advice as early as possible. That always makes a big difference. Um, but but one of the, the concrete kind of things you can go with is is filing first. You know, there, there can be a lot of benefits to filing. Um, we meet with lots of guys that don't they don't even want the divorce or sometimes they don't even know why the divorce is going on. But same same advice to them get something filed before your wife does. There, there can be a lot of advantages no matter what state you're in. Um, the, the, the plaintiff in our legal system is usually the victim. The victim is given the upper hand. They get the, the, the better spot in litigation. They get, uh, you know, if there's a court hearing, they get to go first. If there's a jury, they sit next to the jury. They're, they're the one that is running the lawsuit and starting it and the one that has something they've been aggrieved, they need a remedy, the court's there to help them. So that's true also in divorce, even though there's not always a victim in a divorce, just because you file first, now you're the plaintiff, now you have all those advantages. You know, it's it's possible to get court orders signed Hmm. without a hearing. So it's pretty typical to do a restraining order on property. Um, You know, they have different terms for them, but basically you get these ex parte orders signed, ex parte just meaning without a hearing, Right. So I file first, I can get a court order signed that says, you know, kind of whatever I want. I, I can I can freeze somebody's bank account. I can uh, do all sorts of things. If they're living apart, I can set up custody, parenting time, child support. I mean, it's nonsense hmm. what goes on. And and when people say, oh, it doesn't matter who files first. I mean, that's shocking. And there's so many things that can can grow from the just from the fact that you filed first. So that, that's one thing to keep in mind is doing uh, that. Yeah, you know? I wish I would have known that myself. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. It's it's one of those things that there's lawyers that I don't think really realize the advantages to it. They're just not looking at it through that lens, you know. Yeah. Um, and another one, especially if there's kids, which a lot of marriages, there's children, um, is not to move out. You know, a big mistake guys will make at the beginning is they move out. Their wife tells them to leave or they're they're uncomfortable living together. And, and who's not uncomfortable living together at that point? Yeah. And, and they, ru- they rush into this idea of, OK, I'm just going to take off, you know, I'm gonna get my gym bag and leave. And there's really no plan. And all these problems grow from the fact they moved out with no plan. They're having trouble seeing their kids. They don't know what's going on at the house. Mm. They don't know what's, they don't know who's paying the bills, who's expected to pay the bill. They don't know what's going on. And you look back and you say, well, if you just would have stayed put for like a month till we work some of this out, you'd be a whole different place. It'd be a whole much, a lot better for you, you know? So that's another one is, 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 not that you need to stay put and drive each other crazy. Right. And of course, if you know, if there's domestic violence or something real extreme, you leave, you leave for the night, you leave. But this idea of moving out with no plan is just always a bad idea. Gotcha. You know, the, the no plan being the bigger problem of, of that. Okay. But people can move out, you know, we'll have guys who give them advice and they might move out in a couple of weeks, but we do it the right way. Gotcha. We get some sort of get some ground rules, get a sense of what's expected, I, what I expect of you, what you expect of me. Right. If there's kids, you know, one of my seat, you got to work all that out. That, that's a, that's a common mistake that we'll see. And it's hard to, it, it becomes hard to fix later. You know, sometimes yeah. it's too late, you know, yeah. what is, um, what is there, is there, and I know it probably varies by state, but if you do move out, 
when is it a cutoff time to where it's it becomes significant to the courts? In other words, is it if I move out for a week and come back, or if 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 I move out for a week, can I come back? Like I guess it's up to her. Yeah. But how does the court view that in terms of the legalities of saying he, he you know you officially left? Yeah, that, that's a good one. It, it, there's really not a, a hard and fast rule, but you certainly get the feeling of if this guy's been gone for six months, like he's sure. kind of he's kind of out, you know, right. so I, you could leave for a week, come back, you know, I'm always, you know, I would work on the assumption that most people, they either own the house they live in, or yeah. they're, on, they're on the lease, if right. they're renting, um, or their wife is, is one of those two categories. Right. So if that's the case, then I have an ownership right in that property, no matter what state I'm in. Gotcha. If my wife, my wife's on the title, even if I'm not on the title, we're married, I'm allowed to come and go to that house. Hmm. And then same thing with a lease. She's on the lease. I'm on the lease, whatever. I'm allowed to come and go on the, at that apartment or whatever I'm doing. So you're, you're free to leave and come back. It's, it's not like you left and now there's some rule that you're right. not allowed to come back, you know? Gotcha. So I think that's the balance, but you can't, you know, there's no way to pretend what's going on in your life. If you're out and you're really never around, yeah. then you're, you're, you're kind of out. Yeah. And, and that's okay. So, I mean, some people come to us and they've been living apart for a year and they haven't filed for divorce yet. And that's, that's okay too. Right. Um, you know, it just depends on how, and some people that's working out and it's not an issue, but right. um, yeah, you, you can move out. You could go back. You could be kind of a little bit in between, gotcha. you know, keeping, keeping the peace is always a good, a good plan too, you know? Okay. All right. Uh, so yeah, what would uh, your third one be uh, third piece of advice? Well, yeah, I think, I think the third, you know, big mistake is just uh, maybe the, a combination of kind of being in denial about it mm. and then making, making bad choices on that, you know, thinking, you know, it, it's sort of like one of these, you know, like something you see in a TV show where she keeps saying she's divorcing you and there's a hundred reasons and a hundred things. And you keep saying, Oh, we're going to get back together. And then like every day, it's like another sign that you're not getting back together. Right. So I think part of that is just being in denial, not keeping the peace, which can go kind of hand in hand where you're, 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 you're still fighting about it. You're combative. You're trying to hold on to a relationship. That's just, you know, long over. Right. I think that's another, another, another big mistake is just the denial and the combative approach and the, the fighting about things that don't matter. Um, you know, and part of the whole, the whole idea of live together, move out that I, I think makes sense here too, is it's easy for us to give advice because sure. if you stay living, if you stay living together, that's good for saving your marriage. If you stay living together, that's good for starting your divorce. So there's no path where you move out, you know, so <laughs> right. I think move out, move out can really be kind of the, the thing, but, you know, being in denial about it, causing fights, not following advice, mm. you know, refusing to talk to a therapist when clearly that would be helpful those all become kind of the common mistakes we see that are all, they're all sort of interrelated, you know? Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so that covers sort of some of the top things and, and um, that, that you would recommend to either do or avoid. Um, yeah. So in addition to that, I have a ton of questions, which, which I sent you. Um, I don't yeah. know if there's anyone, I don't know what order. I mean, we could just go down the list until, you know, yeah. um, we, we yeah. get through time, but. Um, yeah, let's just work through the list. That'd okay. So in terms of success, one of the questions was how do you, how do you attorney Boyer measure success with a divorce case for your clients? Yeah. So success is, you know, it's a, it's a good one and it's important, you know, at, at the beginning, my job, because I do all the initial interviews with, with clients, basically, myself and my partner, we meet, we meet you from day one. We take the first phone call. We're, the, you know, we're, we're dealing with the very, very beginning of all this as far as the client dealing with a lawyer. And you know, the, the, the primary thing there with success is setting realistic goals. Mm. You know, if, if you're coming into this and you've been married forever, and you're talking about, I want to keep this and I want to keep that. We want to set the perspective that really that stuff is already half hers. So it's not a loss to say, well, I, I, I got to buy her out of the house and pay her half the house or she's going to get part of my pension. So I think success is, is measured first in it, when you're talking to an expert that they can set the goals. Right. You know, it'd be like if, I, if I'm meeting with a doctor, he tells me I got cancer and he's telling me my treatment. 
he's going to be realistic about, well, you got to do this and this and this, and you'll be fine. I think that's where success is best measured is, is what are the goals and let's get a sense of what you think is going on. And then we'll tell you what's realistic and then you know what to expect. It doesn't right. sound so bad. So it's almost like setting realistic expectations to allow them to feel like they've been successful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but success in the end is, you know, in a long-term marriage, you're probably going to end up with half and that yeah. doesn't feel good, Yeah. but how, how that goes and what that means is a, is a whole complicated kind of discussion. And that's where you just want, you know, you want the right advice and you want, uh, you want to know what I should be expecting. Or if you're talking about custody, you know, what's success going to be looking like as far as custody of my kids? Should I expect half the time with them? Should I expect right. every other weekend or, you know, so we want to, I, I try to set that out first meeting. Right. Here's an overview. Here's what's realistic. Let's get rid of some of these myths. And, and the, 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 your buddy at work is telling you some nonsense that doesn't make sense or, right. you know, and, and a lot of what you're hearing might be true. And let's just, let's sort of, look at even if it's half that's not the end of the world and there's a right way and a wrong way on that too so i, I, I think that's how you look at success in divorces gotcha. what should i be expecting you know okay well speaking of assets and all that kind of stuff that's one of the yeah. questions um if you leave stuff behind let's you know we, you talked about leaving the house you shouldn't do that yeah. but let's say you do that you leave a lot of stuff behind can a, can the 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 spouse that's that stayed behind can they sell or damage anything you left behind? Well, I mean, you can run into, there's kind of two stages here to me. There's, there's before a divorce has been filed and then there's after a divorce has been filed. So if we're talking about before, that's kind of the wild west. You know, if no, no divorce has been started. There's no litigation. No one has jurisdiction over your lives. You're free to take your stuff. Your wife's free to take your stuff. It's all assumed to be kind of jointly owned and, you know, the police are going to say, we don't want to be involved. I, I don't know about who took whose, you know, stuff, but right. it's a civil matter. So you do sort of run into the wild west, which is a good reason not to move out unless you have to. Right. You don't want to worry about what's going to, what's going to happen to my guitar, what's going to happen to my whatever prized possession I might have. So you do want to be careful of those things. Now, you know, lawsuits are basically, most lawsuits are really just money. There's no, you know, if my wife takes my favorite guitar and destroys it, I can't get that back obviously but i can put a dollar value on it and i could say look you owe me 500 bucks for that guitar and that's that's sometimes the best you can do on that sort of thing so is that part of divorce negotiation or do you have to file something in addition yeah it would be part of the negotiation so you know once you filed for divorce um you know a common one we'll hear is like i i haven't moved out but my wife left but she's kind of coming and going when I'm not there right. and stuff is stuff is disappearing. And you just, you want to start off with when there's trouble and you know, a divorce is coming, you want to inventory, just, you know, like how these, the homeowners insurance companies will tell you, like, take a video of your whole house. So you know what you have in case there's a fire, in case there's a burglary, because it's hard to remember. You think, you know, but it's sort of hard to think of everything. Sure. Same thing with this. You, you just want to, what do I have? If I'm going to move out or she's out and coming and going, what, what is here? What, what are the items that I'm worried about and what condition are they in so that I can prove that to someone later? If I think this person is getting crazy, you're going to be malicious or try to take my stuff, try to destroy my stuff. I come home and my stuff's on the front lawn. You know, there's all, kind, right. all kinds of nonsense. You know, emotions are high at the beginning. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of problems. Yeah. So basically it's, it's not something that you can't, get the law involved even even after the divorce is filed right well once you get the divorce filed so at that point one of the first things you would do is draining order you would you would put a court order in place that says property's not to be removed okay. things aren't to be changed and, and then now i have someone violating a court order that carries a lot more weight gotcha. than a couple married people fighting about a guitar you know so Gotcha. Now there's a divorce file. Now I can do something about it. But again, it would go back to, I would need to be able to say what's missing or what's damaged. If, I, if I'm kind of not really sure what I have, right? I don't know if I have to go on. So you'd want to inventory, make sure you know what you have. And then once the divorce is started, definitely you could do something about that. I mean, people are, people can't just go around destroying each other's things and, and taking each other's things. And it all, it all comes down to money. Right, of course. Yeah, of course. Of course. 
hard to get your stuff back, but you can put a value on it, you know? So if, if there's a protective order put against the, the person that left, does that affect their ability to get their stuff? I assume that it does, but does it, how does that affect getting their stuff and, and putting value yeah. on it and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Well, once, once there's a protective order in place now, now a judge can do something about it. If this person's a, you know, sometimes in a divorce, there's just one person, just the bad, the bad actor. They're just, they're just the bad guy. Yeah. They're doing all the bad. They're doing all the wrong things. If this person's the bad actor, they're taking things, they're destroying things. A judge can do something about it because now there's a court order and there's a lawsuit filed. They can they can hit them with penalties. They can make them pay attorney fees for you having to go to court to fight about it. They can throw them in jail if they wanted to. So, you know, you do have a lot more to a lot more available to you once a divorce has been started. Gotcha. What if the protective order is on like a like a on the on the person that left because of uh, allegations, let's say true or false, right. and we can, we'll get into some of that, but does that affect their ability to go get their stuff or to have to be able to claim it, so to speak, or you, you know what I mean? Does that affect anything yeah. at all? Well, yeah, usually there's two kind of what you would call protective orders. There's some, there's a, a mutual one that's just for property and bank accounts okay. and that kind of stuff. Gotcha. But then you might, you, you can also get into personal protection orders, which is more like your wife claims you threatened her and you right. said you're going to kill her. And she gets a protective order that, that you're not allowed to talk to her, not allowed to be around her. Mm. You know, that, that can definitely get in the way of, you know, now I've got this court order that says I can't even go to my own house. Right. Or, I, you know, that can interfere. You still have the remedy of you go to court, you say, hey, I need to go get my clothes. I need to get my stuff. And you get a time set up to go do that. And, okay. So you still have to, the, the best recourse is still to, to file something, even if yeah. you have a, a personal protective order against you you still need to take legal action in, in order to get your stuff or protect your stuff. Yeah. Yeah, okay. definitely. Okay. Um, all right. Let's yeah. jump into, to alimony. Um, yeah. There was a lot of questions about that. So what happens if the person paying alimony stops working, retires or is injured and they can no longer pay the alimony or they just, just simply stop paying the alimony. Right. Yeah. So alimony, you know, let's assume you're in a situation where you get divorced and you had to pay some, some alimony or spousal support as some places call it that. Um, normally the agreement you're going to make, it's modifiable. So I can, I can get it changed. If there's a change of circumstances, if there's some major cause, if there's, I lost my job or I have a, I'm making less money this year, which is a lot of people this year making less money, you know, of course. Yeah. So you're, you're usually going to be in a position where, your spouse, your spousal, the alimony is going to be modifiable. You can make an agreement where it's not modifiable, but that's unusual. Mm -hmm. We don't do a lot of that at our law firm because it's just hard to predict more than a couple of years out for people. Sure. Um, so yeah, normally it's going to be a reason to get it changed, meaning you can go to your ex-wife and try to get an agreement or you file something with the court and the court looks at it and they'll modify it. They'll say, all right, you're going to pay less money now because you're making making less money. What happens if if the in the unusual, I guess unusual scenario where the woman is paying the alimony and she just or or I guess I guess we could look at it as the man yeah. too, but they just decide, you know what? Uh, I'm just not going to work, so I don't have to pay you. Is that what what recourse does the person receiving the alimony have? to right to i guess i don't know force them to work I'm, I'm not sure like what do you do in that scenario right yeah that that can happen um you know you certainly would look at what the facts are so if this is somebody that's in their 40s and just isn't going to work anymore obviously that doesn't make as much sense as if they're like in their 60s mm. where they might have a more legitimate reason to say you know i got medical issues or i'm kind of retirement age or so, but yeah, if this is somebody's just maliciously just saying, ah, I'm not going to work anymore. I'm not going to pay this, throw me in jail. Um, that's not going to go well for them. I mean, right. it, you're really, you know, you're going to end up standing before a judge kind of explaining yourself and saying, I'm just going to quit. And that that's kind of a, a nuclear option. I mean, you're not going to see most people get away with that. Typically you're going to see if they were ordered to pay it, they probably have a pretty good history of having worked. This is a person that it's pretty easy to tell what their value is, you know, what kind of income they can earn. And then if they just decide to not work anymore, they say, I'm going to quit and go back to school or whatever. They're going to still owe that money and they're not going to be able to modify it, you know? So, uh, and what, 
one of the questions that came up is is about um, tax law. In, in, and I guess yeah. I'm assuming alimony and spousal support is is probably uh, it probably differs um, per state law, but I'm guessing all of them probably include or don't include alimony as taxable deductible income. Is is that the case? Are right. all the states like that? Yeah, they changed. So in 2018, the, 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 they changed that for federal law with the, the Tax Reform Act. They they took so it used to be that spousal support was tax deductible. Oh, and they okay. took that and they took that away. And now it's not tax deductible. So now it's kind of like child support for adults, basically. <laughs> you know, it's, it, you know, and a lot of times you'll see a, a divorce case where, you know, mom has custody. Mom really never worked she's getting child support and alimony. Well, I mean, the way it is now, they're kind of the same thing I mean, because neither one of them is tax deductible. So it took away a lot of the complication of all that, of, of looking at, all right, if I'm paying something that's tax deductible, it, it, you know, if I'm supposed to pay a thousand a month, it's really only costing me 750 because I can deduct it on my tax. It got kind of rid of all those nonsense sort of discussions about taxes, which are sort of, sort of were theoretical anyways. Um, so I think it's made it easier, really. It's a lot easier to understand that if I got to pay a thousand a month, it costs me a thousand a month. Right. You know, if I got to pay a thousand a month and it costs me seven fifty because of my tax deduction, that's harder to get across yeah. to either one of the people. You know, either one of the people when you're settling a divorce, it just doesn't sound that great that I can deduct it on my taxes, even though it could help. So they kind of took away all that. Now it's not tax deductible. So now I know. If I'm paying a thousand a month, it costs me a thousand a month. You know, it makes it a little easier to discuss it. Sure. So if if there's an agreement in place and laws do change, what takes precedent? The agreement or the law? Yeah, so the agreement. So there's people out there that are that are paying long-term spousal support or alimony, and they had a, a judgment of divorce that was done before 2018 and it's tax deductible. It's still tax deductible. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So they get to keep that right. And it looks like the way it's playing out, even when they modify it, they can still potentially keep deducting that, you know, so. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, let's uh, speaking of child support, we can jump into that. Um, yeah. yeah. It's sort of sort of similar questions around around that, because, you, you know, like you said, it's it's kind of like uh, alimony is kind of like adult child support. Um, yeah. So yeah. how does someone not working that can affect the child support? So if I have right. to pay child support and and my wife, oh, I do. <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. To a large number that I don't even want to say out loud. Um, yeah. If she decides she's going to quit her job, how does that right. affect, or can it affect? Does it affect my my child support? Will it go up even even though she can work? Right. So one of the benefits of how child support's calculated is that it is based on so it's it's heavily weighted towards what you make right so then what she's doing and monkeying around a little doesn't always have a big effect on it anyway so the first thing i would do if i was meeting with you is i would say well let's run some numbers let's plug in your income plug in her income and then second scenario let's plug in your your income and plug her in at zero or something lower and see where this is really going because i don't want to fight about something that isn't going to really matter right. you know so that's always that's kind of the first analysis with child support. But yeah, in general, someone quit, you know, a common one is somebody will, they get divorced, you're paying child support, she gets remarried, you know, and, and a few years down the road, she's not really that interested in working. Her husband makes decent money. Um, she kind of goes part-time. And you do have that argument available to you of, of this idea of potential income or somebody's ability to earn. Right. You say, well, last year you made 60 a year and now you're only making 10. Right. And, you know, forget about the, the virus, because I'm not talking about that. But, you know, you just decided to go kind of part time. Um, the court could potentially they could still use her prior income. They could say, well, I'm, we're happy for you that you got, got remarried and you got this lifestyle, but we're not going to lower the child support or raise the child support because of what you did. We're going to assume you can still make 60 a year. So we're going to leave the child support the way it is. Mm. You know, as opposed to her coming in and saying, well, I got remarried and quit my job. I need more child support. You know, they're not going to you can imagine that the, the judge isn't going to think that's great either. They're going to say, well, we're going to leave it the way it is. It's not really a reason. Gotcha. Okay. You know, 
I think that, you know, the bigger problem you run into with what I see is women that just have never really worked. Mm. You know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of underemployed women in our society. They, they start out raising kids and then they kind of don't get back into the workforce. And then next thing you know, it's 15 years later and you're getting divorced and you want to talk about how low, you know, when we first met, she was making 50 a year and, but yeah, but that was like 15 years ago. And that's not that useful now. You know, and that that gets frustrating a little bit oh, because sure. you, you think you think, well, she's got a college degree and she could make whatever. And you look at it like, yeah, but she has no work history. So who's going to hire her? You know, and, and that, again, you just run some numbers, first of all, to see what we're really fighting about, because, you know, you can typically assume somebody's able to make minimum wage, which is going to be 18 a year or so. And. You know, if somebody's making 18 or 20 a year versus 35 a year, it's not that different in the formula usually. So you just say, okay, well, before we get too worried about what she's doing and it doesn't make sense, let's look at your bottom line. How is this affecting your child support number? And we won't fight about stuff that isn't going to make that big of a difference for you. You know, gotcha. Uh, one of the things I, I missed in, in spouse support slash alimony is someone gave a, mm -hmm. a, a, a fairly specific example of yeah. the effects of filing first and and you recommended filing first but this one is sort of specific in that it, it, this this gentleman said in in pennsylvania if the woman files first she can drag it out after the 90-day cool-off period and yeah because she can petition to cut all support where if the man files first she can drag it out for up to up to a year and receive said support so i guess it's in that limbo period from right. filing to actual settlement of divorce, that there's support uh, required during that time or can be required, and so yeah, does, definitely can. Yeah, does it does filing is he is he correct in that filing first will affect that? Yeah, filing first will affect it, it, it absolutely. It, it can and it affects a lot of things. Um, yeah, and then there's you know the other part of that question that there's a lot of screwing around with with delay, you know. Um, a lot of jurisdictions have a at least a six month waiting period, yep. um, especially when there's children. You know, like like in Michigan, there's a, there's two different waiting periods, whether there's kids or not kids. Okay. So when you got kids, there's a six month waiting period, and in Pennsylvania, they have a waiting period. So in other words, pretty much every state, you can't just file and get divorced next month. Right. You, know, you gotta you gotta wait. Some of them it's up to a year, um, and it can be an issue. What's going to go on during that six months to a year? especially you got non-working spouse and she's looking to just have you pay all the bills and kind of, she's just going to coast and, mm. you know, feather the nest and just buy whatever she wants to do. You got to get all that locked down and under control at the beginning. Gotcha. And how you do that is you get a court order in place that dictates, you know, one word for it is a status quo order. You get something in place that says, here's the bills, here's what we're paying, here's what we're doing. And you kind of lay some of that out because it's it's easy to take advantage of it and it can be easy to delay it because there's delay just built in, you know, in the first place. Yeah, for sure. And I, I imagine it's probably even worse now with COVID. Um, yeah, that's definitely caused some delays. It depends on what county you're in, how well that's going. You know, there's like in Michigan, there's counties, there's there's a county that borders another one. And, the, and one is like really high tech and all set. And the other one is just horrible. And, you know, you think, oh, if I just moved 10 miles west, I could have been in a totally different court system. <laughs> and uh, it's it's taken a while. I think the, the, the upside that this virus has lasted this long is it's given the court system time to try to figure out a solution. Mm. You know, when you're when you're looking back to March and April, they didn't know what was going on or how long it was going to last. Right. Now they're seeing, they're kind of seeing now, all right, we got it. We got to figure this out because we got thousands of cases being filed and we can't just let them, we can't put all this off till this is over. And so that that's helped. Um, that leads me, I, I didn't write this one down. This is one is actually for yeah. me. Um, so at the beginning of the lockdown, the kids stayed mm -hmm. with me for, for, for like two and a half months, but yeah. because it was so unknown, I never filed anything in terms of support changes or modifications because we just, we just didn't know, but I had them from yeah. like mid beginning to mid March to June. Can I go back to the court and petition to get credit for the, that time period? Normally you cannot. Ah. 
So, so in other words, there's a law against modifying support for the past. Mm. So if I do, you know, like what you describe, I had the kids a few months yep. and I didn't file anything, I can't get credit for it. Mm. So I should, or, or yeah, or whatever other triggering, like, let's say I lose my job and I, I got to get my support lowered. If I lose my job and I wait around for five months mm. and then I file something with the court, I can't go back mm. five months. Gotcha. Okay. You know? So the, the only going back, the only retro would be if I file it in April and it takes the court till July to figure it out, they'll go back to April. Gotcha. Okay. Because it, because that's that's their delay, not yours. But yeah, there's no way to go back. Yeah. Oh, well. Live and learn. Um, so yeah. let's jump into false accusations. So yeah. one of the gentlemen asked about reclaiming expenses if they have to fight false accusations now i'm assuming that's you know she said i did this and beat her and all this and, and she, yeah. maybe she keeps doing it is is there any recourse to a either stop it or b gets get some court uh get some attorney's fees paid by her for making those accusations yeah you, you can it's it's definitely possible it depends on how it affects things so the problem with divorce cases first of all is that you're free to you're free to say whatever you want to say about the other person. There's no, there's no lawsuit for defamation mm. in a divorce case. So I can make up a bunch of lies about my wife and she can't sue me for defamation. Now that has other repercussions like that. You know, that may make everybody think I'm a liar and it, and it may show the court that I'm crazy, but she can't sue me just because I lied about things. Mm. And that's, that's different than, the rest of the world you know if we if there wasn't a divorce and i just made up a bunch of lies about some person right they could potentially sue me for defamation you know so there's that but you you, you certainly can if you're show, if you can show a pattern of your wife is just making things up about you mm -hmm. and and doing it maliciously and, and the, she's trying to get custody or she's trying to get you put in jail or whatever absolutely i mean that can carry a lot of repercussions you know you, you can get into perjury kind of stuff where she's lying on under oath and that that in and of itself is a crime. You can file a motion with the court, get the court to award attorney fees because you have to keep coming to court to defend things that you're able to prove are false. Um, I think one of the problems is a lot of the times it's hard to prove that things are true or false because right. it's kind of her word against yours. You know, she could she could say he threatened my life and he tried to kill me and, and get a, a protection order against you. And maybe none of that ever even happened. It could be all made up. <sighs> So, you know, so, so it's, it's it, luckily that is not a large percentage of cases where that's going on, but it, it happens, you know, it can be some nasty stuff. So in terms of, of access to the children, if there, if there is no separation agreement in place and they make an accusation, can they, can they with, I guess, I guess the accusation leads to a protection order. Cause it ha I would, I would guess that would, right. I, how am I trying to, to say this? If if they make an accusation, but don't file a, a protection order, they they can't withhold the children, right? And if there's no agreement right. in place, right? So yeah, withholding children really turns into you can do that until I can get to court and do something about it. Usually, I mean, because you know, if if she's not letting me see my kids and the police aren't going to really get involved, which they usually won't. Yep then I'm free to take them, but I can't get them. And she's free to keep them from me. And then you, that's where you need the court to just like put some, you know, get a court order in place, get some specifics and get things figured out that way, because it, it does be kind of a, it becomes a tug of war otherwise until you can get an answer, you know? So, so then if, if there are false accusations and you prove them to be false, does that affect custody uh, against the person making the false accusation? Will they consider that? Yeah. It can, it can, it, you know, and it depends on the accusation. You know, some of the, some of the nastiest stuff I would say I've ever seen with custody and with kids is a, is a, a mom with medical knowledge, like a nurse or something like that, that has a, an agenda and, and they're making up malicious saying, they're saying you, you touched our daughter or you, you molested our daughter and they know how to say it and how to make it sound real. And that can spin off into a whole investigation and a whole thing. And, and there's always this air on the side of caution with, with children because they're, they're just, they're not adults. Um, that's about the worst you could expect is somebody that's got the medical knowledge, knows how that world works. They know about reporting and, 
and abuse and all that. And they make up some stuff about you and you spend six months trying to sort it out. You know, that, that can be very frustrating, but, but yeah, in general, you know, getting the right advice certainly helps all of that a lot. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to go back to child support. Uh, I missed one. Yeah. Someone asked, yeah. um, how many people can a woman collect child support from for one child? I, I would think the oh, answer is obvious one. would be one, but right. It's one. And, and if yeah, they, think... if they find some way somehow, um, maybe through threats or something, I mean, it sounds yeah. like they should just go to court. Like if, if they suspect that yeah. they're paying and they shouldn't be go to court, right? Yeah, anything more than one, it would be fraudulent. I mean, somebody's, you know, you'd have to, you'd have to defend it through the courts. Yeah, um, for sure. So let's, we'll stick with sort of a support, a child support, child custody. Um, have you personally ever gotten a, a father, sole or primary custody due to oh, yeah. a mother withholding, um, you know, alienating that type of stuff? Yep. Yeah, we definitely have. Um, it's, it, it happens a lot. There's a, there's a, definitely a push first of all towards more of a shared custody mm. kind of deal at this point there's not a lot of laws that require shared custody but the, the days of mom gets custody and dad can just do whatever are, are kind of over yeah. you know most men want to be way more involved in their kids lives they they, they so definitely but we, we get custody for men all the time you have to have the right facts right you know because if you're talking about i'm going to get custody of some of a child and he's going to live with me full time and the mom is not agreeing to that, that's kind of extreme. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's really no different than the days of mom gets full custody and dad sees the kid hardly ever. Gotcha. You know, where we are today is we know the dad's not going to agree to have mom keep him full time and mom's not going to agree to dad having him full time. But when you get into contested contested custody situations, yeah, I mean, one a factor can be parental alienation. You know, that, that term in and of itself is a little hard to follow because there's a lot of psychologists that try to tell you that doesn't exist, but there certainly can be a campaign of preventing you from seeing your kids and, and telling them, you know, the person that prevents you from seeing their kids also isn't saying good things about you when you're not around, of right. course. So it all goes, so there can definitely be that, you know, that can lead to a, a situation where you end up getting custody. I mean, you know, it wouldn't be just because of that, but it leads to the kids are not doing well in school there's poor attendance, there's abuse, neglect kind of stuff. And this person is on a campaign of never letting you see them. And, you know, it all goes hand in hand. You can definitely get, but yeah, we get, we get custody for men all the time. You have to have the right facts. So what's the best way to document something like alienation? Well, I think you just, uh, if you have any uh, written statements on it, like text messages, emails, you hang on to those. Or you just keep a, a, a journal, you know, keep keep track of what the parenting time is, when you have the kids, mm. and when you're being denied the kids, and make sure you're documenting what you can do. You know, if I'm supposed to have the kids on Friday and I get some nonsense about how I'm not getting them, maybe she won't tell me that in writing, but I can tell her in writing. I can say, hey, you just called me and you said you're not going to give me the kids because of, and just kind of lay out my narrative in an email. And now I have my version of it as it went. And that's a lot more believable than, you know, me just saying what happened. Gotcha. Okay. So document, document, document. Right? Yeah. Just document and document doesn't have to be catching her putting stuff in writing because people that are smart won't do that. Yeah. But you can put in writing what they just told you verbally. Uh, gotcha. So, so things and like, I, and I know a buddy of mine went through this years ago um, yeah. that he documented uh, and journaled and that was admissible. Like he submitted like, you know, notebooks upon notebooks for you know like 10 yeah. years worth and that was all admissible yeah absolutely there, there's a there's a thing in in evidence called present sense impression where it's it's more believable if i wrote it down at the time it happened mm. the, the judge is going to tend to take my word for it more than me trying to tell some story about it five months later and i'm trying to remember so like diaries journals emails mm emails to other you know if i write to my buddy you know i write an email to chris like i can't believe what this lady just she just did you know even that can help me later because it's it's a it's always a few months later before you get into court yeah, sure. you know to, you say yeah i wrote this email to my buddy chris and this is what happened and i, I remember exactly what happened because i wrote it all down mm -hmm. and 
Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I could have made it up, but judges know that that's kind of unlikely that you're going to write an email to your friend and lie about right. it. Especially if there's a pattern, I'm guessing, too, right? If there's multiple. Right, right. Gotcha. Yeah, so documenting, can you can do way more documenting yourself than you might at first kind of think. You know? Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of the, one of my guys, uh, he asked this pretty specific question. Um, yeah. Does abandonment of a previous child from a previous relationship affect custody with his children and her children, if you know what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly can. It, it, it usually goes to, um, it's going to help convince your attorney, first of all. Mm -hmm. Is they're saying, well, okay, this person's obviously got problems if their other kid got taken away or something happened. So it makes every allegation seem more believable, first of all, which is a good start. So would you think he should like um, reach out to uh, the the father who who has the child and ask him for I don't know testimony, a statement, any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have. I think one of those clients is is closed out, but we had two clients this year where that was a situation. One of them had custody of a kid, the father had custody and then the mom, you know, lost custody to him. And now our guy was fighting for custody oh, okay. from the same mom with a different kid. And we were, rep we huh. represented both guys at the same time. And, uh, and it, so it definitely can help. It's not, you know, it's not to say that what went on in the one case means everything in the other case, but it, it, it can give you insight into what went on. It, you know, it, it gives you insight into what you're dealing with. There's mental illness, there's drug abuse, there's alcohol abuse, there's, there's, there's reasons that they took this person's kid away. And even if it's a different kid, different relationship, those reasons are gonna pop up again. And it, it, it helps you kind of figure all that out, which is, because it's a lot to figure out, you know, when you're trying to deal with custody issues is a, a whole thing. So yeah, it definitely helps that way. And we saw that firsthand this year when we had two guys, one mom. And what, what was the outcome? Did you did get custody for both guys? Yeah, the one guy got custody. The other one got into a weird like jurisdiction fight about how there was like some some Grand Traverse County. Not, there was like up North Michigan stuff going on and Ohio gotcha. stuff going on. And um, uh -huh. But in the end, he was able to, you know, long story short, he was able to get uh a lot of parenting time which started turning into custody i mean this lady just can't do it so even though the yeah. judge the, the judge didn't say yeah i'm giving you custody it's it's kind of heading that way she just can't take care of kids she can't gotcha. take care of kids you know yeah so yeah, that's unfortunate yeah i think that one is just you know persistence is the rule there you just got to stick with it don't give up you know yeah. uh as so, well speaking of uh you know not the best partners. Let's talk about some of the, the, the factors that can affect a divorce, such as yeah. infidelity. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that speaks to fault, no fault. And I got sort of a specific question about that, but let's first talk about that or pregnancy with um, another while right. still married. How does any of that factor? And I'm guessing it probably matters about fault, no fault. Right. Right. It definitely comes into play with fault or no fault. A lot of states are getting away from fault. You know, it, it's totally changed. I mean, it used to be long ago, you know, 1940s, you'd have to prove fault or you couldn't get divorced. You'd have to prove abandonment, abuse, uh, hmm. you know, all these words that start with the letter A. If you couldn't prove any, hmm. if you couldn't prove any of that stuff, you had to stay married, which is weird. Um, and that goes back to, you know, a lot of our laws are kind of based on England and that's how England did it. Um, so then we've gone total 180 to where now fault doesn't even really matter anymore, which is maybe not a good approach either. You know, some states, you know, like I know Michigan is very no fault. There's no fault auto insurance. There's no fault divorce. They're kind of no fault. They think nothing's anybody's ever, you know, any anybody's fault, which is, which is, which is maybe born out of the right idea, but it doesn't really make sense all the time. I mean, a lot of times in a divorce, clearly it's somebody at fault. I mean, there's problems. So you'd want to get specific advice about your situation is, you know, is it worth pursuing this, this fault type of case where I got to prove stuff or do I just say, yeah, I'm just getting divorced, you know, because right. in most States you're, you're running into, well, we're just getting divorced. We know we don't like each other. And you said it's because I'm cheating. And I said, it's because you 
won't sleep with me. And, you know, it's it, who knows, right. you know, I, I think fault can become kind of circular logic a lot of times. Hmm. Gotcha. You know. is, is there a, do you know, uh, I don't know if you would know off the top of your head. I'm just curious. I, I haven't looked it up myself, but the, the number of states that are faults versus no fault. Oh uh, yeah. That's a good question. It, 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 most of them are, I don't know the number, but most of them have gotten away from fault. Hmm. Is that, and so it sounds like that's a push to, to basically, you know, nationwide is yeah. sort of marching to no fault. Yeah. I think the courts just don't want to deal with it. They, they know that you, you could spend two hours talking about what you don't like about your wife and she could spend two hours talking about what she doesn't like about you. And right. nobody's the wiser at the end of those discussions, unless there's abuse or neglect or crazy stuff. Right. But if it's just, you know, she doesn't do the dishes and she won't clean the house, you know, it's whatever with that stuff. I think people, right. the judges have just sort of, I think over the years and the legislators have just said, this is just, there's no point to this. So if it's fault, uh, if it's no fault uh, in terms of divorce, uh, does that also affect custody? Like, in other words, yeah, if it's no fault for divorce, does it, it, it's, it's, it's no fault for custody. And so, right. so if she was cheating, right. even if she got pregnant, it doesn't matter because it's a no fault state. Yeah, it really doesn't matter. It's, it's such a small factor. You know, looking at yeah. looking at who should get custody isn't going to have a lot to do with who's cheating. I mean, in, gotcha. in a weird way, it, 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 the person who who, you know, the person who she was cheating on feels very hurt and they're upset about it, but does it really tell you anything about how she's going to be as a mom? I mean, she, the kids might not even know she's cheating. Right. So then that's where it gets a little weird where you're like, well, this doesn't really affect custody and, and who should have mm -hmm. custody. Um, if they're up to things in their private life that the kids maybe don't even know about, doesn't affect them. You know, that's, I think that's where that comes from. The fault just isn't really, a factor in custody. Now there's, you know, they can look at moral fitness, you know, as part of a custody factor, they can look, you know, a lot of states have that. So it, it's, it's there, but it's not going to be the driving force to determine who gets custody. It would just be another, another piece to the puzzle. Yeah, perhaps. right. It's another factor. It's part of the narrative. You know? Gotcha. Um, someone asked, someone was very, um, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he was very, he had a strong opinion about no fault. And he asked if, if it's constitutional, a no fault divorce, and if anyone has ever challenged it. Yeah. I mean, not that I, I don't know of anyone challenging it. Um, you know, like I know Mi Michigan's a no fault state, for example, yeah. a lot of the Midwest is um, meaning, and, and really what that means is I don't need a reason to get divorced, mm. but fault type of things can be a factor because, you know, abuse could be fault. You could right. say, well, that's part of it, but but really in the no fault jurisdictions, which is a lot of states, this is basically not gonna affect things. You know, but I haven't seen anybody challenge it on a constitutional basis. I think the problem with that is that if you're talking about US Constitution, that this is all left up to the states. This uh, this is in the states per so you'd have to attack a state constitution about a state mm -hmm. law, and that's harder to harder to do gotcha that makes sense okay yeah. um let's move on to to finances and assets when, when divorcing um so a gentleman asked if if no one has yet to file well he he has yet not he has not filed neither has his wife but he has a large amount of savings they have a large amount of savings joint account yeah if he removes any any of that money before filing is he responsible is she um uh, entitled to half of that right. once they do file. Yeah. I mean, I think that becomes a, 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 a duration kind of question. You know, like if, if I do that a week before a divorce has started, I'm probably mm -hmm. accountable. If I do it a year before a divorce has started, I might not be, you know, we'll, we'll see a lot, you know, a lot of, a lot of divorces are born out of fighting about finances and fighting about spending. Yeah. One person's a spend. Yeah. One person's a spendthrift, and the other one is a is a tightwad, and they can't get out. They, you know, they can't get on the same page. Or one of them might be reasonable, and one of them just spends way too much money, and that can be an issue. And and there can it can be extreme. I mean, we've seen people that have basically spent down like their entire retirement account for no real reason, and now they're getting divorced. But that's been going on for years. So it's hard to kind of, you know, it's like once you knock the glass of water over, it's hard to put the water back in the glass. Like you just sort of say, look, right. look, I don't know, this money's gone now. 
So if I take the money a month before we get divorced or, you know, I'm doing that kind of stuff, that's kind of shady. And I can assume I'll probably not get away with that. And, and does the court look, I guess, would look negatively upon that? Yeah. Yeah. They'll look back and they'll, you know, you'll get guys will say, well, what if I, you know, put my house in my brother's name or what if I, you know, get, and I mean, that's all clearly being done for fraud or deception. And, um, but if it just happens, I, I took some money out of the bank and went and bought some stuff and did some things and I didn't know we were getting divorced. That's, you know, that's different. So it, it definitely, that's a very context fact specific kind of question, right? you know, but I've certainly seen plenty of divorces where if it's been kind of recent, weird activity out of the ordinary, anything out of the ordinary going on, you can expect a complaint about it and you could be facing problems. You know, it's, I'm going to take my $20,000 car and sell it to my buddy for five grand. You're like, yeah, that's probably not going to work, you know? Gotcha. So, and so how far back will the court look? Um, I don't think there's any wrong answer, but you start getting beyond a couple of years and it just doesn't make sense. Right. He's going to say, look, you stayed married to this guy. You knew what was going on. Um, you know, I think you could be in a situation where it's a couple of years ago, but they didn't know about it till now. I mean, that could, you know, like the retirement account, for example, like, let's say we're getting divorced and I think my wife's got 30 grand in her 401k comes to come to find out she cashed it out. And I didn't even know somehow we filed separate mm-hmm. returns or something. That's different. But, you know, in general, if it's been a few months before it'll be considered, if it's been years, it's not going to, nobody's going to listen to it. I mean, there's guys, there's guys that will come in here and I mean, women have kind of ruined their lives. I mean, they, they've blown through money they've done, and there's not a way to really fix that. You know, Mm -hmm. for one thing, the money's gone and they don't have, and the woman doesn't make any money. That's why she spent all the money. So even, (laughs) even if you said, yes, let's get you back the money. I don't know where it would come from. And, you know, you do run into those kind of situations. Well, speaking of, of low income, a couple guys asked, um, if, 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 attorneys have ever used like an income based fee structure and i can't imagine that yeah that would be i don't know anybody doing that i mean there's there might be state funded you know mm. guys that are you know if, if they're somehow they're like legal aid legal services or there, there's certainly better versions of legal aid in some states where it's not just you know some attorney doesn't know what they're doing it's it's actually a decent you know a decent structure but yeah in general mm you end up just kind of paying it's it's not based on what you make it's based on right. what it takes yeah like any sure. like hiring, no, you know like hiring any other service you're just sort of having to hire based on what it takes and your income isn't relevant to what they charge you know yeah, yeah. and it's so what, what i mean i guess it's probably like you said different for for each state but the, the options if they don't have the funds sounds like is is like a legal aid type of thing it's legal aid um, there are some states you know, like I know Michigan is one of them. So is Illinois. There, there's things where they can, you, you can hire an attorney on a more limited kind of basis. So it mm. keeps the cost down. You're not, gotcha. you're not paying them to sit in court for four hours and do nothing kind of stuff. Um, and we've been able to start doing that the last few years here because they, they changed our court rule in Michigan. But um, it's possible to hire somebody and not fully hire them in the traditional sort of pay by the hour blank check kind of deal. So that's worth checking into with your specific, you know, the attorneys that are in your area, what they're doing. It's kind of an unbundling of services is kind of how I would describe it. You say, well, I I want to hire you to do this, but I don't need you to do that. And the law is changing and allowing more and more of that. Okay. You know, so interesting. Uh, one of the guys, and I didn't, I didn't capture it on the on the list. I apologize. Yeah. One of the guys, yeah. I remember it just popped in my head. He asked about how do you, and I think it's probably an easy answer, but yeah. how do you stop an attorney from calling you and and sort of frivolous calls and billing you for them? So like, hey, are your kids doing well? Or yeah. I, I don't. Right. I think it just. I guess the question is, how do you stop it? And I, I would assume you just tell him to knock it off. And then right. B, do you have any recourse to go back if he does charge you for stuff that is frivolous? Yeah, you do. And, and I think this is a good a good point of knowing you got to you got to get a sense of who you're hiring in the first place. It's a good discussion right. to have at the first meeting, meaning, gotcha. you know, like, how do you bill? How do I know what it co- like with, with my law firm? We do a statement every two weeks 
you get a very mm -hmm. detailed billing. There's lawyers that don't ever do statements. They don't ever, they, they just say, ah, oh, you know, they hold their finger up to the wind. Oh, it was two grand, you know, and you don't ever know what's going on. And then there's, of course, people that are in between. So I think you, right. you want a law firm that is on, you know, like here we have a full-time office manager. We have a billing assistant. This isn't like Joe Schmo that writes it on a piece of paper and gives it to you. So I think you want to know who you're hiring going into it. Is, it, is this someone that, am I going to get a statement monthly? Am I going to get a statement weekly? Because you can't complain about frivolous charges if you don't know about them. Right. For, one, true. You know, Very true. for step one. So I think that's a good thing to talk about at the first meeting. And it, it's hard to do. Men don't like to get into all that. And, you know, we, we, we like to, men are more, they see it and they buy it. That's kind of their deal. Yeah. And you got to yeah. kind of put on your, you know, right side brain a little bit more creative with the questioning at the initial interview. Like, how does this work? How am I built? I know you work by the hour, but is it every email, right. every phone call? And I think you just get into that and you'll have a better sense. And then if you get a monthly statement, make sure you actually look at it. Is it, is it accurate and talk about it they'll, they'll you know they're willing to work with you they want you they want clients to be happy so sure. i think the the hardest part of that question is you don't know some people some lawyers you don't know till way at the end and all of a sudden they're talking about thousands of dollars and you're like wait a minute what do you what does that mean you know and then it's yeah. it, it gets to be kind of hard to sort out sure you know? so speaking of um you know good lawyers yeah. uh, i know you you only practice in michigan mm -hmm. but is that the case yeah. Have you, have you, do you have connections? Is there a network um, of, of people like yourself, firms like yours that, that communicate and, and kind of help men, or is it just solely state by state just because of licensing and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's only state by state. Um, part of what goes on with state by state is that like we're called Adam in Michigan, yep. you know, in Ohio, for example, you can't call it that the law firm would have to be Boyer and Smith or so it has to be the names of the lawyers. So there, there are states, there's enough states in the country that don't allow a name of a law firm. Uh, okay. So you can't use Adam in some of these. So we've always just stayed Michigan only, but I know, you know, for us, like the obvious thing, well, let's go to Ohio. It's right across the, you know, it's, it's an hour drive right. and you, you can't call it Adam in Ohio, which is weird. So that, is weird. that alone gets in the way of having like a national thing. Now you could have mm -hmm. a national law firm that's called Boyer and Midgard or whatever the names of the lawyers are. Um, right. But yeah, the, the best advice I could give on, on wherever you are in Pennsylvania, whatever state, um, you just got to look at who, you know, who does, you want an expert, you know, who does divorce and family law only. Right. You don't want some jack of all trades guy or my uncle said to talk to his buddy, you know, you don't want any of that. You want the divorce family law attorneys. It's like, that's all we do. If you had a bankruptcy case, I don't do that stuff. I wouldn't know anything about it. Personal injury. I don't know anything about it. You know, you want somebody that's very specific. Um, there's a national website you can look at for wherever you are. That's um, it's called AAML.org. So it's American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, AAML.org. Um, and that, will give you those guys are experts they, they have gotcha. they have to pass a test and take these like credentials to to be part of that so if you look in your state your city and find one of them they might be more on the expensive side but they're going to be a good source of information and they could refer you to someone else or they'll take your case or whatever so aaml.org is a good a good thing to look at Gotcha. So, All right. Well, that's uh, that's pretty much it. Um, I'm I'm positive that uh, that we'll we'll get more questions will be generated. Yeah. So I'll, I'll reach back out. I hope uh, maybe sure. maybe once a month. Yeah. I mean, I, whatever you can do. Yeah, Again, I, I just really appreciate the time. Yeah, man. I think this is going to be very very helpful to to a lot of men. So yeah, I, I truly appreciate it. Yeah, it's great. Uh, you know, let's do it again. It's good stuff. All right. Uh, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you if they are in the state of Michigan and need an attorney? Um, yeah, best best bet. They, they can call me. Um, you know, the phone number is 248-356-2326. Call that number. Gotcha. You go on the website, uh, adamdivorcelaw.com. Get to me through there. Okay.
I'll post. Uh, I already posted the your, the Adam Facebook page. Okay, cool. In the in in my uh, podcast group, is there any other um, YouTube or any other social media that you yeah. would like me to post? Yeah, I have a yeah, I have a YouTube channel that would be good for people to check out. Um, I I post about once a week on there. Okay. And they're just kind of frequently asked questions is what I base it on. If you go to my website, you can find the link to the YouTube channel. Um, and they're little just you know questions like should I move out or gotcha. how to avoid mistakes, you know, the kind of stuff we've been talking about, little five, 10, awesome. ten yeah, five, 10 minute advice videos. It's all, you know, it's YouTube. It's all free, of course. You know, just, yep. And it's, it's not really Michigan specific. I kind of stay away from that. You know, gotcha. a lot of the advice applies to everybody. You know, I'm surprised, I'm surprised at how that holds true. Like I, there's a divorce lawyer that I've learned a lot from. He's in North Carolina and I got one of his books man, like a 300 page book, there was maybe one page that didn't apply to Michigan. I was amazed. I, I thought it would be, oh, wow. and they're totally different from us, but, yeah. but he stuck to kind of the normal, like don't move out and file first and, and things that sure. didn't have anything to do with North Carolina and their crazy legal system. He stuck with just common sense advice. And, it, and that's, that's what a lot of my YouTube stuff is. It's, just, it's advice. It's not necessarily Michigan only kind of stuff, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, Great. Well, I'll, I'll definitely post that in the in the group, and yeah. uh, the guys will check it out. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you again for your time. Yeah. And uh, look forward to doing it again. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. Yep. Take, take care. Take care. Bye bye. Well, that'll do it for episode four. I want to thank Attorney Boyer for taking the time to sit down, talk with me, and answer our questions. I hope that the way I asked the questions got you the answers you were looking for. And like I said in the intro, if not, just let me know and I can reach back out to him. But we will be hooking up again in the future, probably four to six weeks is my best guess. Next week on the show, I'm going to have Crystal Morris. She will be our first female guest. Crystal is a life coach and she runs the Masculine Research Institute that she started. And she's dealing with men exclusively, the science behind women, men, relationships, why we do what we do. She has a, a pretty great story, and I'm really excited to talk with her. In addition to doing the episode with her, I'm going to invite her into our Facebook group page so you guys can ask questions directly to her. Uh, I'm going to bring her in probably Monday, the beginning of the week, and let you guys interact with her. At the end of the week, I'll probably put a poll up. Um, I'll... I'll uh, I don't want to say kick her out, but I'll remove her from the group. And then I'm going to put a poll up. If you guys want her to stay, if you enjoyed her info, if uh, you're okay with having a female in the group, then we'll we'll bring her back in. But if not, that's fine. It's completely up to you, gentlemen. So uh, look for that at the probably the end of the week. So I don't know. Maybe I'll let her run five days, seven days in the group. And, and then I'll post. So just please respond. And please, when she is in there, interact with her. If you have any questions, um, just reach out to her. So that will be next week. I look forward to releasing it and getting some feedback. So that's a wrap for this one. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Nick Coyle and Lifer for allowing me to use their song, Born Again which you're hearing now and at the intro to the podcast. Thank you to Justin Delahanty and all of my brothers at the Alpha Code. Please reach out and connect with me and other like-minded men on the Facebook group page, Rising Phoenix Podcast. This group will be used to discuss released episodes, future episodes, and to discuss any and all things that come from dealing with a divorce, separation, or breakup. I look forward to connecting with you. Until next time, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And remember to surround yourself with people who add value to your life, who challenge you to be greater than you were yesterday, who sprinkle magic into your existence just like you do to theirs. Life is not meant to be done alone. Find your tribe. Take care.